Welcome to the Paycom Podcast. We are medical management radio for the solo provider and small group physician practice. Paycom is where medicine meets entrepreneurship. Now, here's your host, Carter Lumen. Hello and welcome to Medical Management Radio. I'm your host, Carter Lumen. PACOM is the Professional Association of Healthcare Office Management. My guest today is Pablo Reyna with Texas Systems Group. We're going to discuss health information technology and in particular what practices can do to prepare for the dreaded IT audit. Thanks for joining us today, Pablo. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate your time. So let's dive right in. What specifically is an IT audit and what in general are they looking for? Well, you're actually looking at three things. And I believe HIPAA essentially describes it as the administrative, physical, and technical, right? We're looking, of course, kind of tying all that in together is the physical security, access controls, workstation use from a user perspective, technical security regarding technology, softwares, tools to you know protect the information that you're accessing. And then, of course, personnel, administrative security, obviously tying that together with training and their particular knowledge or maybe what are they doing and or using. So those essentially those three layers is what they're really looking for. That makes sense. And and I'm sure people are aware, but I, I think it's worth mentioning again, what are the penalties for failing either an audit in general or a section of an audit? Sure. So, I mean, the penalties can really range. They're, they're, some of them can seem a little bit obscene or kind of like not really sure, but they essentially range. You can get fines in regard to, say, ranging from $100 to $50,000 per violation or record in itself. There's also where they could, through civil court, in, put you in jail for a year to five years. And so you're looking not only at a kind of monetary cost to it, but also your personal time and and, and what's going on there. Okay. So there's some serious ramifications from a a financial and also a, a, a criminal perspective that makes this a, a critical part of practice management in general. And that's kind of the point I wanted to get across. Yeah. Let's talk about each of the main categories you mentioned earlier, because I think there's a lot of detail under each. In respect to physical security, what recommendations could you make to our listeners? Well, for physical security, as it pertains to technology and IT, we kind of like to tie that to you at, you say, your home and what you do to protect yourself, your family, and your personal belongings. It's just easier to correlate, right? But essentially, it's in the same same essence. You want to make sure physical security safeguards are access control, right? You, if you have a data closet, or even if you don't have a data closet, and you have a server rack or something, or wherever your network stuff is, you want to make sure that that's locked or is access controlled, whether a key card or a physical lock and key, that sort of thing. You can even put physical security on even your desktops or laptops where you may have a lock or a cable to each device. And so those are essentially some small things that can be done that most of the time are actually commonly overlooked. So basically, it's, it's about controlling access to the machines themselves. Correct. The access to the machines, the hardware, devices, the network, 
it's like switches, patch panels, cables, cords, ports, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Yes. Okay. Got it. How about technical security? What in that in in that aspect of the audit are they looking to verify? So technical security will tie into a little essentially of access control, but more of like usernames and passwords, dual authentication. Some technologies allow for even a, a proximity card for you to activate your log on to your device and you have to then go through authentication there. The transmission security, such as the information you're actually transmitting, emailing, sending, receiving, storing, or even just accessing in a server or drive. How are you accessing that and is that secure? So those are really the two main things to really think about. And then there's a few other things to dig into, but those are really the main two, I think, uh, that are really key. That can really head down a technical rabbit hole, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Here's a question for you. I see a lot of doctor's offices that are using Gmail or Yahoo Mail or even in some cases, Hotmail. Is that a potential problem? Absolutely. I think there's this common assumption that if it's online and it's a large organization that you subscribe to or or use their services, then essentially it's secure. And to an extent that may be true, but when you're looking at especially email, what you need to consider is where that information, and it always comes back to this seemingly is what I always end up saying is comes back to where you archive, where you retrieve and how you distribute or transmit. And if you're looking at email, you're looking at it on your laptop or desktop or iPhone or something, and it's there on your phone. Is it secure, right? That's one instance you need to consider. If you're using something like Gmail or Hotmail or something, when you're emailing that information, is it secure when you're sending it from where you're sitting at your device in transmission, meaning on route and transit through, quote unquote, the internet pipe? Is it secure there? And then what is the security on the receiver's end? So there's a lot of things to consider. It's not just using the tool. It's how that tool is actually used and secured both or actually all three ends, your end, the transmission and the recipient's end. So in the case of, of Gmail and Yahoo, and I'm, I'm not an IT expert, it seems like there could potentially be an issue with the transmission portion of that. Cool. Correct. And so that's why most practices may be familiar with, say, a patient portal for communication rather than email, or some practices may be familiar with encrypted email. Those are things to consider and look at as part of a, a you know, a technical security in what you need, because mm-hmm. when you're emailing it and transit, there's no guarantee that that is secure. It may be your laptop and your network on your device may be secure. That's fine. Once you hit send and you go out to the public, it's kind of like you walking out your door. You know, you're now you're at risk kind of thing. Okay. How about Wi-Fi security? Because I think that falls in there too. A lot of Wi-Fi routers, obviously they come with WPA or WPA2 encryption. Is that sufficient? Wi-Fi security, to an extent, yes. And I hate to always say to an extent or to be very big or whatever, but it's without really knowing the environment, it's difficult to say. But in general, 
if you're on a public Wi-Fi and whether you need a, a, a access key that's publicly available or you're just open and you can log in without or get on the internet without logging in on a guest Wi-Fi or, or public Wi-Fi, red flag needs to go up because there is no physical security or technical security, I should say rather, that's there for your connection, right? You've got hundreds to maybe thousands of people, depending on where you are, connecting at any one time or throughout the day. If you use WPA, WPA2, even for guest access, that's great because the only people that can get onto that access for say WPA or WPA2 is, is for that PSK or pre-shared key, right? But okay. you and all those people have that key. So now you're essentially on the same network, right? And again, uh, without digging into too much detail, you're all now in the same shareable area of information and access. And if you know what you're doing, you can get into another person's computer. So there's other things to look at with now, how do I protect myself? If I am in a public Wi-Fi, I do use WPA2. I do have that key. But now, if there's other people that's using it, how do I secure myself or at least wall myself off from that? So in that case, in, in the case of a practice that wants to provide Wi-Fi to their patients, do you recommend a, a different wireless system for those that, that might be a little less secure versus the Wi-Fi that's provided to staff for office use? Great question. And I think that's also where it, sometimes it gets muddy. And I'm glad we're going there because, yes, I definitely recommend setting up an independent Wi-Fi connection or access for your company access and employees and your patient or guest access. You essentially will be able to put up a quote-unquote wall, right, between the two networks. And if they don't have the right authentication, not just WPA, there's other access levels you can use rather than just that. You can tie your login if you're with the company on the company network to Active Directory. And for you as an employee, you know what that is and you know how to log in. No one will necessarily know that, right? And they're also a guest isn't going to be in your quote-unquote Active Directory list. For those who may not be familiar, Active Directory is essentially a directory service where you have an individual username and password for that particular employee on that particular network using their particular password, okay? So mm -hmm. it goes a little bit deeper. And again, we can go into the weeds on this, but when you do that, you're separating the two. Yes, an, a different mode of allowing wireless access for uh -huh. sure. Public okay. and private is the easiest way to define it. Public is your guest. Private is your company or healthcare practice network. And then the different layers you can put in there can go even deeper and wider to ensure it's even more secure. Okay. Once again, heading, heading into, like you said, the uh, technical weeds are down the rabbit hole with Alice. And then last but not least, let's discuss security from a personnel perspective. What should a practice manager be aware of in this area? Well, I mean, you're going to probably think about this if you want to from the very beginning of a of, of particular employee joining your organization, not just being a part of the organization. So you're going to run through your background checks, security checks, and all that stuff, whatever that may be, because we're dealing with PHI here, right? So it's, right. it's important. But then you're going to look at making sure that they have the knowledge or training of a particular process that you use for accessing that PHI, 
editing or documenting or doing anything with that PHI, ensuring that there is an audit trail of all of that information and every record that's touched or edited, you know, that goes to personnel tracking and making sure that that's secure. And it's not to say that you can't trust your employees. It's just you have to make sure you have those resources in place to help check those boxes for HIPAA compliance. And then, of course, making sure they follow policy and procedure, even to the simple point of checking patients in and making sure that you document what that is, having a key card or physical key access to the private areas, only allowing personnel access to those areas or workplaces that they need access to, i.e., medical assistant doesn't necessarily need access to your server room or data closet or health information server, right? So Mm -hmm. those are some of the few things you can think of or do. Okay. That makes sense. And it seems kind of like if you needed to wrap all of this up, are they looking for a, is an auditor looking for a specific set of clearly delineated policies for the office? And is that part of the audit itself? Yeah. So again, from most practices, they they may be aware or they should be aware. And if they're not, that's just fine because not everybody does. I mean, you really think about it, HIPAA is a beast, right? And making sure you're compliant is, is an entirely different monster. So they're looking for a certain set of policies based off of these things, right? A lot of it is on the privacy role or the security role. And, you know, we have information available if you need it, but it's how do people access information? How do you secure certain things? What and how are you securing your network? So there's there's a checklist, essentially, of different controls from HIPAA by NIST and all of these essentially technical standards that they're checking off on that, uh, that list in itself. So yes, there is a specific set and it's more to do you have these things in place? Are you making the best and reasonable efforts? And if so, Let's see. That's that's really where they're going. Okay. And here's a follow-up question to that. We all know that technology is a rapidly evolving field. So <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that HIPAA compliance requirements change to reflect either new threats that are available in an environment or just to track the evolution of technology and the threat environment in general. How often do policies need to be revamped or rewritten to reflect compliance with those changes? How often? It's a good question. Well, I think they need to be updated and changed as often as a, a, a notification from HHS comes out, right? Which mm-hmm. in some instances, it seems to some practices, yeah, this is changing every day. And, and, and it is because technology is changing, as you mentioned. At the very, at the very, very least, and this is a requirement, right? Is you do every year an assessment and you're able to identify where you are and what may have changed over the previous year. Going through and making sure that you have some place that you can track the policies and procedures, what you have in place versus what the standard is. And then as those changes come out, figure out where that delta is in those changes you need to make there. But at the very least, making that assessment annually We recommend doing it every quarter, right? We are sitting with you to do a quarterly review and understand that. And as those things come, we work to make sure that those things are done. Okay. 
unrelated question, but in your experience, because I know Texas Systems Group has worked with thousands of practices across the United States. During the initial assessment that you do, where do most medical offices experience issues with compliancy? Most medical offices, I think the biggest issues with compliance come to really personnel as it pertains to security and awareness training. I think everyone's so tied up in making sure that they do certain things for the practice. There's the security and awareness training is a huge area. And that's because the other side is how do you keep track of that and what training is out there? And I think... That's a good question. How do you keep track of it? So there's obviously different areas and different people who have different solutions, but, you know, we recommend or we have a, a portal, right, where we actually sit with you every quarter, as I mentioned, and do these assessments and understand where your practice is and try to help improve those areas that may need it, but also ensure that your individual employees are actually going through. This is the training that's available. Are you getting this done? And then if they are, you're able to electronically track that, you know, Mm -hmm. get certificates of completion as those are available and then store those electronically somewhere, again, that's secure in a centralized location so that you have all of that information. And it becomes an administrative nightmare in essence, but if there's an easier way to get it done so that you as the practice admin or manager can concentrate on your role, then by all means, opt for it. These are the things that are there to help you save time. Okay. I know from based upon some corporate experience in the past and working with companies that supported medical organizations, we had to go through HIPAA training and we also had to do like phishing training. Is that something that you recommend as part of, you know, ensuring that your personnel understand the current threats that are out there and they're prepared to identify them and and handle them, you know, on an individual basis? Yeah, absolutely. And that's part of the security awareness training, right? I think everybody thinks specifically awareness and being aware of what your surroundings are and what you need to do from a kind of process and checking people in or maybe security from a physical lock and key kind of or or password. But yes, absolutely. Phishing is one of the number one issues regarding security breaches and breaches in general, especially in healthcare. And that all leads to email. Majority of the time, And the easiest way to kind of explain this is we every day go about our lives. We understand the things that we do or don't do and what risks that come with it. However, when it comes to technology, we're not necessarily 100% aware of how we may be doing harm to ourselves or what risk we are to ourselves with such as phishing. You know, are you getting an email that is not familiar and then you're doing something where you're just putting in information or clicking on links. That's one thing. Phishing goes into where it's specifically, you know, they're looking for a particular information. It looks valid. It looks like somebody you know or a company or or whatever that you were waiting on. And then you unfortunately get fished and they're pulling information from you. Then it's targeted at times, spear phishing, right? A particular person, email address, your role. Some people are even getting emails from CEOs or practice uh, managers and managing partners. And I need you to do this by this time and we need this information and it needs to be by the bank, right? So yes, there's a lot to it. 
And I don't mean to be generic when I say security and awareness training. So I, I, there's a lot more because it's phishing, it's malware, it's dark web. It's there's there's just layers upon layers. It, it makes sense, and it seems like that's not something that can typically be handled in house. You're going to have to find either a vendor that provides that specific for you, or somebody to handle kind of all of these threats in in general because without very specific training and knowledge it seems like it's it would be pretty easy to put your practice at risk trying to take it on you know in its entirety by yourself absolutely agreed obviously we all specialize in something and know something very well right that's that's why healthcare practices are healthcare practices and that's why we're ita if you have knowledge or you've been trained from an it perspective especially as it pertains to security cybersecurity, yeah absolutely by all means do your best but you're you may miss something it's not your core role so mm-hmm. hiring either a third party or a particular service for that specifically, yes, I, I would highly recommend that. Because again, you're able to go through that training, go through that awareness, go through that checklist and making sure each employee that accesses something is not only completing it, but you're able to verify that it's been done. Or like you mentioned, you know, finding a vendor or IT partner that can essentially have this as part of the service. There's too often times where most practices are looking for the basics. Let's let's make sure we check these boxes for what we're aware of, right? And, and that's mm-hmm. all of us. Let me make sure I have an antivirus. Let me make sure I have my password changed. You know, those are kind of the basic things. But then you get into all of these ad- added layers. And those are maybe some things to think about when you're thinking about an IT provider or partner. Is it included? What is included? How does it help me? How does it save time? I mean, all of the same basic questions, but I think security is, is highly overlooked because, again, we're all at this at one point or another trying to check those boxes to just get by. The bare minimum. Right. <laughs> so that, that so the practice managers can move on to the 80 million other things that they have on their to-do list, right? Well, that's just it. I mean, they're, they're so overwhelmed. It's like, I don't have time to manage all this stuff. Let's just get this stuff done. And then I'll put this on the back burner and get back to it. And then too often times that list just starts to get backed up big time. I got it. And, and that makes sense. So kind of moving on, let, let's talk about Texas Systems Group in particular. Sure. So, you know, now that we understand, you know, some of the terminology and the general landscape and the potential penalties associated with non-compliance, what does TSG or TSXG do to, you know, initially go in and kind of evaluate a practice and then moving on to monitoring that practice and ensuring their continuing readiness for audits? Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah. So we have an entire process from our, essentially, as we call it, of course, it is what it is, sales, right? We have a sales process. We have a discovery and onboarding process, a service and support process, and then a customer success process. So we are a very process-oriented company. And I know a lot of people say that, but it's for those of people or practices that are out there, they can definitely speak to it. But so we come in and we do a consult, really understanding what the practice needs are. There's a lot of wants, (laughs) as I'm Mm -hmm. sure everyone is aware, but 
the needs is the most important thing because we know we can cover the needs as long as we're, there's a right solution and we know we can do it. A lot of the wants, that's a different story. But we go in and we do a consult. After that, we do an IT discovery. We're going to go in and actually do a physical walkthrough of your environment so we can see where things are, what's in place, and more importantly, what may need to be improved. Then we also have the second portion of the IT discovery, which is essentially a software and technical discovery of the network. What's in that environment? What devices are connected? What is, what's the age? What software you're using? What securities are in place? All the kind of little things that we, to me, I, I mean, we just geek out on, right? There's a lot of us that do. <laughs> uh, that's just us. And then after we get that, we, we kind of, we do an IT discovery finding and review, once we get that done, we kind of present that to the practice and say, these are the things that are going on. This is what needs to be improved, the things that are fantastic. Great job. Let's keep doing the same thing. But then we go even further. We annually do an assessment with the practices, not just a technical assessment, but a, a HIPAA compliancy assessment. So we make sure that you're compliant, ready. Technical uh, technology and what we do, policies and procedures that may tie to that to ensure that you're able to check those boxes for the security rule. Then we actually have a customer success team who will go through with our support team and collect all the information, go through the history and meet with that practice every quarter to ensure that we're on track with what we originally discovered where our plan is to get you or go and how we're tracking to get there. Once we do all of that, then of course, every quarter we're still meeting with you, but then we start making a plan for one year, three years, five years out. What does this look like? What's in place? Where do we need to be? What's priority? What's the goal? And then we continue that cycle every year, every quarter, every year, every quarter without fail. That makes sense. And that would obviously cover some of those HIPAA requirement changes. In a, in a timely fashion and, and ensure, you know, that policies in place aren't something that has been in a binder on top of a file cabinet collecting dust for the last three years. <laughs> You're absolutely right. We more oftentimes, and I'm sure you may be familiar, is you walk into a practice. Do you have a compliance officer? Yes, that's that person. Do you have a compliance documentation, a binder and everything that you have? Yes, it's right there. When's the last time you touched it? I don't know. <laughs> so, yes, it becomes, uh, again, a managerial nightmare in essence. But with all of that, all of that information I just walked through with those processes and things that we do, go into our portal. We have a portal that essentially is for covered entities and business associates. And it will document, well, we'll work with you to document all of that information and what we found and what things have been in place. What policies and procedures do you have? And we'll go through and each item as an auditor will come in and assess, are you doing these things that will be inside that portal? And we'll work with you to ensure that those documents and those procedures and policies are, are stored and archived. And as they need to change, when we meet every quarter or we meet every year for that assessment, we'll go through and make sure that we check those boxes and that's getting done. During our initial conversation the other day, you mentioned the policy builder inside of the portal, because I know sometimes I'll have, you know, a potential partner write me for some type of document I've never created before. So I open up Word and I'm looking at a blank page. 
<laughs> and it is sometimes very, very difficult. You know, we all think writer's block only affects, you know, professional writers. But sometimes, you know, if we're talking about policy creation and, you know, it's, it's not an area of expertise, you know, you just kind of sit there and you look at the blank page. You had mentioned a policy creator. Can you talk a little bit more about how, how that works? Is it kind of a fill in the blank, et cetera? And then at the end, it spits out something that's very professional looking. Or is it as generic as you need a policy to do this, 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 and this? How, how does the creator actually assist a practice manager? Gotcha. So with the policies and procedures portion of especially our portal, because that's where everything lives, for us anyway, is you'll go through that portal and you'll look at your policies and procedures and figure out where are you in your security rating, your privacy, and your breach compliance rating, right? You'll dig in and drill down to see workforce security, information access, security awareness, training, and so on, all of these policies and procedures. You'll go through essentially a checklist of security management process and have you done a risk analysis. You'll walk through all these questions. And as we start to identify these things, that for each policy, for each procedure, for each question that needs to be answered, we'll start to uncover, okay, these are the things that haven't been done. These are the things you have to do. And then our essentially referenceable or policy type templates will go in and look at what you've answered, the things that you've said or done or that you haven't done, right? Uh And look at the policy as we have an outline and say, okay, now let's plug this and personalize this to you as the practice. So we do, again, another kind of assessment first, figure out what's there and what's not. And then we're going to work and ensure that you have an outline of where this needs to be driven, created, and then work together to ensure that it is created. And then after that's all done, you get to upload and store it and archive it in the event that you need it for one referenceable package later. Awesome. So at the end of the policy creation, a document is you, you could hit print and update that, that dusty old binder. Absolutely. You'll have it formatted in a PDF, wipe your binder off and get another sheet protector if you need to, because you know it's going to collect dust and throw it in there. But the nice thing is, is even that binder, right? That's great backup. But now you've got the portal. You can just have everything stored in one place. Awesome. So that covers, you know, policies, because you had had mentioned, like like I said, we had had a previous conversation, policy creation and updates are, you said, a, a typical failing in a practice. So that takes care of a big part of it. You had also mentioned where a lot of practices fail is security and awareness training. Can you talk specifically about the types of tools that TSXG uses to train staff? Sure. So there's a variety of tools that anyone really can use, but we put together or conduct webinars based off of some of the same information from a technology perspective, whether it be cybersecurity, whether it be you know dark web or just end user computer use, right? And it sounds kind of very rudimentary, but it's very necessary because that all applies to how you access or how you store it, only really this HIPAA privacy and security and as it regards to PHI. So we've got webinars that we put together and those are accessible on our YouTube. And there's a new library being built out specifically for that. 
But then we also use a security and awareness training company and solution or tool that essentially goes over kind of each module for phishing and for end user access, monthly reports and how things have been done or how your individual users are doing, the dark web and training on that and those tools. And if you've, you've essentially failed in some instance and Unfortunately, that's just what the term is, right? Unfortunately, you failed this. Let's get you some training to ensure. But we just use, uh, there's a, a software tool called Know Before. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. We have another vendor that we're looking at that's also built into our portal. There's another one, Qualys. There's, again, our own cybersecurity and, and security awareness trainings that we create based off of in the industry in itself. So mm-hmm. those are just a few, but there's, of course, so many more out there. I I understand. What I was really going for there is when I worked for a hospital here in Florida, they put out something that said, you know, hey, you have to attend this training Mm. about phishing and Mm. what what can happen via email. And I had a million things to do. So, you know, (laughs) I spent my 15, 20 minutes on, you know, three different modules kind of doing two other things while it was talking at me. And then a week later, I got an email from IT saying, hey, we sent you a fake phishing attack and you fell for it. Go back and take the training mm-hmm. <laughs> and pay attention to it this time. And you will be you will be tested again. That particular hospital put a personal penalty on sure. that, you know, sure. if I if I failed again. Is is that kind of what one of those tools does? Yeah. And, and you know, okay. I'm sorry, I should have dug in a little bit deeper, but yes. So with the the training in itself we we're looking at that specifically yes so you they send out a email and again because we're all we all do it just it's the unfortunate nature of us communicating via email we see an email it looks familiar it even looks like my bank or what has been happening a lot recently is people in the billing office or administrative office get things from the bank or or whatever and they have to access it well it looks fair looks looks right right you've got the logo you got the information click here to log in and you do but there's a lot of things that you can look at and that's what that email and that training is about is verifying the, the user verifying the email looking at the domain name drilling down even if you have to hover or click on what that looks like even something as there's a logo let's hover over it and see is this the actual website, whether it be Chase or Frost or something? So yes, they walk you through all of that. When you go through and you unfortunately may fail, then yes, you get an alert. That notification goes to the training records. The training record information goes over to the manager or the contact assigned. Then you get a report and say, hey, this is what's going on. What happened? We need you to retake this. And then mm-hmm. it's, you know, you you're, there, 80% there, whatever it may be. And you have to do that remedial training. And it's depending on the practice, depending on the business, it Mm -hmm. may not be that big of an issue, but you know, that's dependent on policies and procedures. But yes, they walk through all of that and there's a portal. So the nice thing is it's not just a training that you get an email, right? There's a portal that you can log into and see these are the things that we've gone over and we've covered or trainings that we need to complete or that we have completed. And, and that's a separate portal in essence of training from the HIPAA portal that we have. So 
And most training companies that do security and awareness training have something similar. So it's not just, I'm not speaking just about our solution or services, but most of them kind of work in that same fashion. There's a few questions I would say ask to dig in to make sure it's the right training, but that's pretty much what you go through. Well, that makes sense. And then lastly, I I don't want you to ask, uh, I, I don't want to ask you to like name and shame a current or former customer. So how about if one of our listeners would like some further information? Do you have some success stories or case studies or references that that you could share with them from other medical practices who have benefited from the Texas Systems Group service? Absolutely. So we have a few case studies publishing more on a regular basis. You can find a couple on our website, txsg.com. And then if you click on who we serve, especially specifically for healthcare, when you click on healthcare, you'll you'll scroll down and there's case studies there. But we have additional material that may not be there. We also have information on, again, on our website, txsg.com under our press releases and our blog as far as what's, we call it what's new. And we don't name names specifically in the blog because we want to make sure we're very protective of our clients for one. And two, everybody fails at something. We just got to get better. And that's the only way we learn. So, Yeah, it's true. Nobody's, no, nobody's really perfect. And, and, and that's why, you know, we're as, as Paycom constantly looking to bring on quality partners that can really add value or add a layer of protection to our, our membership. And, you know, congratulations for, you know, kind of, kind of making it through that, that litmus test. I, I can tell you, your references came back absolutely stellar. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. We're honored. We're honored. And we I ask think, around. I think that's kind of the goal of joining an organization or being a part of an organization like this, right? There's, a lot of work and reputation and, and confidence that's on the line. And we want to make sure we're doing the same thing. And obviously you'll, you'll do the homework as well. So it's fantastic. During our previous conversation, you mentioned that you might be putting together a program for Paycom CEUs on IT compliance and, you know, TSXG in general. Is that something where you would actually demonstrate the portal that you mentioned and and it, the parts and pieces and how it all comes together? Is, yes. is that something you could demonstrate during that course for us? Yeah, absolutely. So as we're developing those webinars, they'll be targeted to a sp- particular subject and that but yes, it would also be demoed within that that conversation or that session to show like this is something that you need and or need to do, may not be whatever, but yes, we will walk through that. And then we're also, you know, hoping to extend a Paycom discount so that we make sure that this is part of being a, a part of the organization and we're absolutely honored to do so. So there's a few things that we're working on. Yeah. Oh, so if a Paycom member does get in touch with you, make sure that they mention that to take advantage of the discount. Absolutely. Definitely mention Paycom. It's it's something that we're absolutely 100% on board and want to really help as many practices as we possibly can. Awesome. That's appreciated. And then lastly, I know you mentioned the web address a couple of times, but if somebody wants to get in touch with you, is there a phone number that uh, you'd like to give out right now? 
Yeah, so you can reach, of course, us at txsg.com. Our direct line is 512-600-6262. And really, that rings our entire sales and support staff, so anybody can absolutely help you. Awesome. Every time I've called, somebody's answered the phone live, you know, as soon as I got through the first menu. Awesome. Well, thank you. That's, it, that's it, great to hear. That, that, that doesn't always happen in the day and age of COVID with everybody Agreed. working from home. So I was kind of surprised when it when it did, actually. So I, I think that does it, unless there's anything in particular you'd like to add here during the wrap-up. I think the one thing I'd like to add is, you know, you, you, you're you out there and you're looking for answers regarding IT and as it applies to HIPAA or healthcare. And there, of course, there's a lot of information. I think when you're out there looking for someone to partner with to support your ITs, obviously you want to make sure that they have the experience and the history and the background and the references. But now, anyways, how we're doing it, and I think what we'll begin to see is very specialized or focused kind of service packages, and that way you know what's included in that package. Now, it makes it a little bit difficult to compare apples and oranges at times, but my point being is you know you're working with an IT provider or partner who is very experienced in healthcare specifically, and they will have inclusions of a lot of these things we talk about with security awareness training and that security and that assessment and that quarterly review. There's not a lot of IT providers out there that do that. So that's just one thing I would say is make sure when you're doing your due diligence is it's it's a it's a bear sometimes to tackle, but you know it's it's for the best interest of your practice. And the other thing is, if you're working with an IT provider, even in the consult, how helpful are they in providing you the knowledge rather than just trying to sell you something? So, those are really the two main things because we have to be able to help. Otherwise, as IT, in my opinion, we're not doing our jobs. Assist and educate. Absolutely, absolutely. Sounds sounds like a winning combo to me. So I think that's going to wrap up this edition of Medical Management Radio. You can also find Texas Systems Group on the Paycom Corporate Members page. And like Pablo mentioned, please make sure you mention Paycom to claim the discount. Thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us. Tune in for new shows on the third Wednesday of each month. PACOM is the Professional Association of Healthcare Office Management, home of the nationally accredited Certified Medical Manager. Professional credentials matter. Learn more at PACOM.com. That's P-A-H-C-O-M.com.